Good morning. We've been looking at the parables, and um, we've been focusing on the kingdom of God in the, in the parables, and this is the last of the parables. Vickers was only given one line uh, a week ago. I've, I've been given a couple of lines, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's very much like the wheat and the tares, so I'm going to Vickers just read the passage and then just say amen, and then we'll go for coffee, right? It's, it's practically the same. Right, let's, let's read from, from Matthew chapter 13 and verse 47. Matthew 13 and verse 47. Matthew 13, 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and then they sat down and collected the good fish in the basket, but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood this all? Uh, Jesus asked, and they said yes. This is to his disciples. So this is the parable of the fisherman's net. And uh, when Jesus came across Simon, later called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were busy fishing. Matthew chapter 4 and verses 16 says, While walking on the Sea of Galilee, he saw the two brothers casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he says the same thing to us today. Follow me, and I will... Not make you fishers of men. No, sorry. I will make you. Sorry, that was rather weak. I will make you. I'm a bit hard of hearing. Sorry. <laughs> so they, they were casting their net. It's a net that is cast over the shoulder and it forms a circle as it flies through the air and then lands into the water. It's weighted down, it sinks, catches, traps fish they pulled up onto the boat or onto the shore if it's a dragnet it's between two boats and they drag it up to the shore and they catch a lot of fish and they separate this fish a little while later jesus is walking along the coast and he sees two more brothers he sees james and his brother john and they're in the boat and they're mending their nets and he says follow me and i will make you fishers of men and they too immediately dropped all that they were doing and they followed him. And he said, do you understand this parable later on when he was talking about the parable of the fisherman's net? And they did because they were fishermen. They understood it. And um, many, many people understood the, the concept of throwing out the net and catching fish in the net. We don't understand it that much here in South Africa. Uh, when we talk about fishing, we talk about a fishing rod, Right? not nets that are, are thrown out. And the people understood this who were, who were there because there were lots of illustrations, lots of people throughout the net. And you go to certain parts of the world and you'll see this method in, in operation. And so this net is thrown out and um, in, in our minds, maybe we're thinking, how, how does that work? 
uh, and I'm sure that you've seen movies or you've seen documentaries where there's a friction trawler and it throws out this net or it drops the line and it draws in the fish and there's a humongous amount of fish and they sorted out the good fish from the bad fish. In this case, it was the, the bad fish, the ceremonially unclean fish were, were thrown away. And so these fishermen understood that the, the net meant the gospel as it was preached, as it was proclaimed, as it was shared, as it was divulged to others, it would produce a harvest. It would bring in fish. And so the fishermen here in this parable are disciples. Not only these disciples, but us, we who follow Jesus Christ and claim him to be Lord of, of our lives. The good and the bad fish indicates that not everyone that is in the church of Jesus Christ is born again or will be in, in heaven one day. And this is one of the main truths in this parable, which leads us to the first of my points. The church worldwide is a mixture of saved and unsaved. And some sects even pose as the true church. Somebody said to me, I must just emphasize, I'm not saying sex, I'm saying sects, all right? Jesus made sex, uh, but he didn't make sects. Where, when we, we have to look beyond this and, and even further in, in history as we, as we contemplate this, this parable, because Jesus chose a nation to follow him and to, to bring glory to him, to reveal him to the world. They weren't just chosen because they were the only chosen people on earth. They were chosen to, to, to make people jealous, to make the other nations jealous so that they too could follow this God. But not all Israel was Israel, right? Not everyone in, in Israel, because they were Jews, were going to go to heaven. Only those who made a commitment of their lives to Christ were true Jews, right? And even when Israel turned their backs on God and they followed other gods, there was a remnant who were true, who remained true to God. Are you, are you, are you with me on that? All right, so Jesus comes on the scene and a situation changes. It's a new covenant. It's a new testament. And so he chooses 12 disciples to change the world, to share the gospel, to set it ablaze. And one of those turns his back on Jesus. One of those turns his back on the kingdom of God. And you can imagine the amazement and the astonishment and, and the anguish of the, of the other disciples. How could this man do this? He'd walked with Jesus for three years. He'd recognized that this was the Son of God. That he'd recognized that this was the Messiah. He recognized that this was the one who, who brought life. Eternal, everlasting. But he not only turned his back on Jesus and on, on, the, on the kingdom of God, he fried him. He, he, he gave him up. He gave him up to, to the Romans to be crucified. Who would have imagined? Who would have guessed? Who would have recognized that one amongst them would have done this? The bad and the good fish right there, even in Jesus' disciples. But Jesus wasn't fooled. He knew it. He knew it all along. Questions, questions. We won't go into those now. So our historian says to us, and he's vicars right here, there are 2.2 billion Christians in, in, in the world today, right? 
right, right, 2.2. But how many of those are truly born-again believers? We're not sure. Not every one of those that are estimated uh, Christians are, are born-again believers. Ryle, Bishop Ryle says, some may be inside the net and yet not be in Christ. They might be baptized. They might be church members. They might even tithe. They might even come regularly to church. They might even talk like a Christian. They might even dress like a Christian. I'm not sure how we're supposed to dress, but, but um, or dental, you know, uh, orderly, tidily, or wh whatever it is. But are they, are they truly born again? Only God knows who are truly His, right? Only God knows. And so we have an imperfect church. We have a mixed church, good fish, bad fish, saved, unsaved, in, in the kingdom of God, in the church. That's the church worldwide we're talking about. And so we're an imperfect church. And if you are not a believer and not a follower of Christ, and you've been let down by a Christian, we apologize for it. We sincerely apologize for it. Shouldn't happen. But there are bad fish and they might have done that. Or even the good fish. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're on the journey to perfection, right? Anybody perfect, yeah? Sure, it's like nobody's breathing. We're on a journey. We're imperfect, but it's no excuse for us to mess up in the business world. It's no excuse for us to be a bad witness out there in the world, they're expecting something better. They're expecting us to be salt and light, and Jesus is as well. Have you ever wondered why God allows sects to uh, continue? Not S-E-X. Sects. The, the, these, these groups calling themselves uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and we're the only true church, they're saying. All the other Christian groups are wrong, and we're the only right ones, right? They come across, they come knocking on your door. They said that to you. But they deny Jesus. And, and the question is, why doesn't God just nuke them? Huh? You know? I've heard people saying, yeah, you know, if I was God, I'd just ah, get rid of these guys. I mean, they're bad witness. To the rest of the world, they, they're preaching the wrong gospel. Why does God allow some of the denominations not to preach the truths that they should be preaching or not to preach the gospel as, the, as they should be, be preaching? Well God, well, God is in no hurry to judge. And God is not faced by it. He's not threatened by imitators. But there will come a day of reckoning. There will come a day of separation, right? Maybe... You're not a Christ follower and you're put off by the many denominations, by the many groups and by the many beliefs. And you think to yourself, why should I become a Christian? I was like that. I wasn't a Christian. And I thought to myself, huh? Why should I believe the Bible? You know, they don't even agree amongst themselves. So, I mean, there's no ultimate truth, surely. Surely there's ultimate truth and everybody should, all the groups should be believing the same thing. And I started reading the Gospels, and I became convinced about this Jesus, and I committed my life to Jesus. And when that happened, and I looked around, I realized, no, hang on, there are differences, but there are minor differences in the main. And in the main, 
We all believe the, ba the basic and fundamental, the important things. That Jesus came into this world, the virgin birth, son of God, God himself, the God-man. And that he died on Calvary for us. And he bore our sins. He was sinless. And therefore he could bear our sins, right? And he rose from the dead. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again one day. And he will be that righteous judge. We all, in the main, believe the same way. So put that aside if you're not a Christ follower. And follow Jesus. And Jesus will reveal the truth to you. This parable also teaches not only that God knows for sure, and he's the ultimate one that knows for sure, but that he's the ultimate judge of, of all of mankind, that we are not to be the ultimate judge of who is and who isn't Christian. Sure, we, there, needs to be, there needs to be checks and balances when people come, new people come into, into the church. Are they truly born again? Can, can, we, can we have a definite um, answer from them? Uh, what's their experience of, of Christ, their experience of salvation? It's not like gates open, doors open. But we're not the ultimate judge, ultimately. God is. The Reformation and the movement which renewed the truth of, of the Word of God was amazing, was, was phenomenal amongst the Re Reformation. But it didn't go far enough. It stopped at, at baptism. And the Reformers said, no, 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 no. no we, we, we've issued in so much Reformation, we can't, we can't go any further than that. And they prohibited Christians from being baptized. They persecuted them. And we lived in Geneva, and I often thought of that scenario, and I often thought of the, the Christians that were strung up in cages around the lake of Geneva, and they were left to rot and die, especially pastors and their wives. And I thought to myself, gee, I'm glad I'm not living in those days. I would have been over there, rotting and dying at the hand of Christians. And this happened over Europe, Friesland and Holland alone, tens of thousands of Anabaptists, your forebears, were saved. You see, they, they, they started preaching the gospel. People got saved. They started reading the Bible. And they, they said to themselves, hey, hang on, you know, the Holy Spirit's telling me I must get baptized. But the reformers are saying, no, you, 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 that's it. No, 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 not baptism by immersion. Otherwise, we'll punish you. And they said, no, we will be true to God. We will not be true to man. We will be true to God. If only the reformers understood this parable. Do you see how important it is to understand the word of God? We're not the ultimate judge. When we judge people, other, other Christians, according to what they wear and what they drink, they might have piercings, they might have tattoos, they might uh, have outlandish gear on them. But if they're born again... Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge them? I was telling the morning congregation, the church that I served at way before I came in at the Central Baptist Church, this Jewess got, got converted and um, she got trained up. She was so excited for, about it, finding her Messiah. She got trained up to teach in the Sunday school and she came with stiletto heels. And the Sunday school, school superintendent looked at these heels and said, and that? And she said, do you like my new, my new shoes? And he said, that's the height of wilderness. Take those off. Take it off. And she said, ha. 
she thought he was joking. He said, go home and take it off and come back. She never came back. God is the ultimate judge. And we're not. And this is partly what this parable is telling us. Man-made rules and regulations um, go by the board. And secondly, this parable uh, of the net is all about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. The word kingdom is used 55 times in the gospel of Matthew because it points to the king, King Jesus. Kingdom of heaven, the phrase kingdom of heaven is mentioned 35 times only in this gospel. Why? Because it points to Jesus and his glorious kingdom. And it is a glorious kingdom. And you're part of this glorious kingdom. You're in this glorious kingdom. And if you're not excited about this kingdom, then wake up because you should be. You should be excited about this kingdom. And that excitement should go out into the world. It should touch lives. People should be saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you so different? Well, you, you should be saying, I'm part of the kingdom of God. The king has touched my life. I'm never the same. I'm different. I'm on a journey. I'm not perfect. But I've been, I'm being changed. The kingdom of God. And he focuses, Matthew focuses on the kingdom. King, the king, uh, just let me read a few to you very quickly. The king's name is Emmanuel. Isaiah seven fourteen. he quotes from Matthew 1, 23. They will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. The king was called ruler, Matthew 2, verse 6, from Micah 5, verse 2. For out of you will come a ruler. This king talked as one having ultimate authority, Matthew 7, 29. Jesus taught as one who had, who had authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, Matthew 3, 17. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The king's coronation and validation by God the Father. The king's love, Matthew 20, 28. Jesus came to give him his life as a ransom for many. That is us here today. The king's glory, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his heavenly throne in glory. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will gather before him and he will separate the people one from the other. 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Hallelujah. It's been prepared for us from the creation of the world. This kingdom, this kingdom, we're rich in Christ. And if we're not excited about it, we need a bomb. To get us going. While God might allow an impure church now, it will not go on forever. It will not be allowed to go on forever because there's coming a day of separation, according to Matthew 13, verse 49, at the end of this age when the king comes. And it's talked of as the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. And I want to read just a few portions to you. Joel chapter 1 and verse 15. It's the day of the Lord's judgment. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come like a destruction from the Almighty. Chapter 2 verse 1. For the day of the Lord is coming, the day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and darkness. Chapter 2 verse 11. The day of the Lord is great and will be dreadful. And who can endure it? It will be devastating to those who have rejected Jesus. But... In Jesus' words, Matthew 13, verse 49, the angels will come 
and separate the wicked from the righteous, verse 50, and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The prophet Joel also goes on to say in Joel chapter 3 and verse 16, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of God. And we haven't got time for Isaiah 62 and verses 11 and 12, there'll be rewards and great blessings for those who are in Christ. And aren't we looking forward to that? I hope you're saying that amen in your heart because I'm not hearing it. This parable, let me just read to you um, just to reiterate to you the urgency and the finality of it uh, as we go through these parables that we've gone through. The parable of the tears. There's a separation between the wheat and the tears. There's a, the parable of the household. There's a separation of the good servant and the evil servant. Parable of the marriage. Separation between the guests with and without wedding clothes. The parable of the ten virgins. There's a separation between the wise and the foolish virgins. In the parable of the talents, separation between the profitable and unprofitable servants. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, the separation between the two of them. In the parable of the fish's net, the separation between the good and the bad fish. There's an urgency here. There's an urgency here. And there's a finality in here. And this urgency screams at us, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Because the king is coming. The king is coming. He's coming. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. You might, you might be saying to me, well, well I, I am, I am I'm a Christian. But, but hang on, don't come now because I've got a couple of things to sort out in my life. Well, sort them out. Let's get going for the kingdom of God. Let's not be wishy-washy. Let's live for his glory each day. And if he comes today, we can say, yes, come. Come, Lord. Not, no, hang on, whoa, I want to get married first. Or, you know, I want to start a business first. Or, you know, it's, it's just a bit of an imposition. You know, come some other time. When the Lord's turn to come is ready, he will come. And let's be ready. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day. Of salvation. If you're not a Christ follower, he's saying to you, Come today, come today, make right with me, put out my hand to you, and I want to become your friend and your savior, your Lord and your King. Many years ago, when my father retired, he um, was looking to buy a house, and we went around and looked at different houses and we encouraged him to buy a house. That was for a ceiling for 18,000. Um, it was sea facing on a ridge, beautiful panoramic views um, over Margate and over the whole sea, seaside. And uh, we were in, in the estate, um, the, the office uh, of this estate agent, and he had the pen in his hand. And he almost signed. And he chickened out and he said, uh, I need to think about this. I said, Dad, there's nothing to think about. It's, it's a good deal. It's a good price. Go for it. He said, uh, give me a couple of days. He, ne he never did. He never did. <laughs> and that house was sold a few years later for a fortune. 
and a block of flats was erected in that spot. Man, I could have been rich. It's, it's amazing how only years later you realize, I could have been, you know, it's like dawns on you late, late, later in life. Bad decisions, regret, regret. Have you got regrets, bad decisions? The worst regret will be doing that to Jesus because that regret will last for all eternity. All eternity. And I think to myself of all the weddings and funerals and preachers and one-on-one, and I've shared the gospel with many, many people. Many have turned away like the rich young man, and Jesus didn't run after that rich young man. I wonder how many in eternity would say, if only I listened to that preacher, if only I listened to the neighbor, if only I listened to my friend, if only I listened to my mom or dad, my my cousin, my, my brother, if only I listened and turned to Jesus. But in eternity, they will regret Forever regret that, that opportunity that they had of turning their lives away from hell and receiving a bit of heaven in their hearts and lives. On the day of Pentecost, uh, the, 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 the apostles were, were preaching to thousands of people. Peter preached, and midway in, in his preach, they stopped him. I've hardly ever been stopped in my preach. And, and for people to say, what, what must I do? I want to do it. I want to do it is what they were saying. And they said, stop. Tell us, how do, how do we get saved? And 3,000 people struck to the core, realizing they were sinners, realizing they were separated from God, turned to, to Jesus and opened their hearts to the living God. And they became good fish. What a catch that day. What a catch. 3,000 added to the kingdom of God. And today you can be one of those it turns away and turns to, to God. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. And it's about catching fish. In order that people may know and serve their rightful king. In order for them to become part of God's family. Part of God's kingdom. In order for them to reflect the glory of God in our world. To, in order for them to enjoy eternity with God. It's the greatest cause in all the world. It's the greatest kingdom in all the world. And I get excited. I get excited. When I, th- I think of the kingdom of God and when I talk about the kingdom of God, my heart stirs. My heart stirs. And I, I hope that your heart stirs, that your heart is thrilled and delighted to be part of the kingdom of God. The greatest kingdom, the greatest cause. Uh, I asked the, the folk today, do, uh, do, do you know about that program, The Greatest Winner and The Greatest Loser one, with Justice, Justice, somebody or other? Every week, as The Greatest Loser, Greatest Winner, and uh, the greatest loser in all the world is those who just spurn Jesus, just turn their backs on him. I'll do it later. No, later might, might never come. You'll forever in eternity say, I'm a greatest loser. I turned my back on Jesus. And the neighbors and friends will be there too one day. And if we don't have compassion upon them, then woe is us. The call to be fishermen is our last and our final. These ex-fishermen were reminded of the all-important matter of casting out the net. This was their number one priority. This was their number one priority. And this is our number one priority. There were many shipwrecks along a section of the Scottish coastline. Many sailors lost their lives. And uh, 
folk from the village nearby took material to this place. And they decided that they were going to save lives. They were going to erect this lighthouse. And they did. And they manned this light, lighthouse day and night. And they donated boats. And they had a place for the bedraggled sailors who were rescued to come and to recuperate. And over the years, that was expanded. And they built other buildings. They, they built a lounge. And they built a dining room. And they built a kitchen and a bar. And they had many functions at this. And all those who were at um, part of of the rescue mission, donated and um, were wholeheartedly in favor of it. Many years went by and they were having a function in this building and in this lounge and this dining room when uh, a ship went down and sailors were brought in half-drowned, dirty, bedraggled, wet. Um, and the people who were having their festivities just bemoaned the fact that that these people are messing up our, our place here. How, how can we allow this to, to continue? And they'd lost their vision of what they first started with, that this was going to be a lighthouse. This was going to be a mission of saving lives. It became a comfortable clubhouse. It degenerated into a social club. SBC Let's Never Degenerate into a social club. But let's always have a heart for missions. That we cry over the lost. How passionate are we for God? How are we throwing out the net? Are we? Are we throwing it out? Just telling what God has done for us is sufficient? God changed my life. Made me a, an amazing offer that I couldn't refuse. And I had peace and I had joy. I had direction in my life. That's the gospel. Rick Warren says, if one, just one person will be in heaven because of you, your life would have made a difference for eternity. Just one person. How about praying for one person? How about agonizing over one person? I agonized over my dad for many, many years. I wept, I wept. I wept over him. I ran out. My dad said, I, I, can't, I can't understand. If only I could understand. And it just broke my heart. And I, I remember r running out in the streets and walking around the streets at midnight saying, God, please, please, please make him understand. Please rescue him. And there came a moment in his life when he was ready at the age of 80. Are we crying? Over the lost? Are we agonizing over the lost? Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will never fail. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1 and verse 10. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word, which brings life. We thank you that this is your word. It's a living word. It touches our hearts. It motivates us. And Father, we pray that you'd move it from head knowledge to heart knowledge, to hand knowledge, to feet knowledge, that we would live it out, Lord, 
And God, that people we come across who are not saved, Lord, would, would see that we're different, would see that we have something that they do not have. We pray that we would be a lighthouse for them. Do this for us, Lord. Help us not to judge even those who are on the, on the streets, on the pavements, but to believe that there is hope for them. They can come to Christ. They can know him as Savior. They can have their lives changed. Help us to make sure in our own lives, Lord, in our own hearts, that you won't say, you said to me, Lord, Lord, and I never knew you. And I said, depart from me. Father, help us to make sure that we are children. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to ask you to come up shortly and uh, help yourself go back to your seats and um, participate in communion. We've been talking about this wonderful king. We've been talking about this wonderful kingdom. And we've got so much to celebrate, have we not? We know that we're on a journey. We know that we're not perfect. But God doesn't expect that before eternity, before we meet him face to face should we breathe our last. So let's come and let's confess any roadblocks and let's come and rejoice in our great Savior, our great Redeemer, who has given us so much. Let's just pray and then come up and why don't you share communion with those alongside you or your family. Father, we bless you that we are blessed beyond measure in Jesus. We thank you for the kingdom of God, which is ours. We thank you, Lord, that you're the king of our hearts and we come, commit our hearts to you afresh today, Lord. Come and live within our hearts that we will stand before you one day and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep us faithful to you, Lord. And keep us faithful in, the, in keeping the main thing the main thing. That we would throw out the net and that we would see your kingdom grow in our city. That one life would would be, would be changed through us. And we know that after we've led one to you, we'd have a desire for many more. Bless you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the